so we're, we've been going through um, some of Jesus' most famous teachings called the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, three chapters in Matthew from Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. And tonight we're going to look at one of the most familiar of his passages. Um, even, if, even if you haven't spent much time around the Bible, uh, certainly you've heard language about salt and light. And so I'm going to read this passage from Matthew 5. Verses 13 through 16. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our Father. Thank you that you have given us this passage. And we ask that you would help us to, to see Jesus. Uh, sometimes that's hard with passages that sound so familiar. And we tell ourselves that we know all there is to know about it. So we ask that you would dig out for us ears to hear something even new. Uh, We ask that you would do this by your Spirit. Amen. So I've mentioned this before recently, and maybe that's because I love fall so much, but I love the fall semester. And there's so many reasons for that. Part of it is obviously getting to sort of restart RUF. It feels like Christmas season in some ways. I love seeing new faces. I love seeing old faces. I love seeing lights sort of click and go off as we talk about Jesus and the Bible, and all of that is wonderful. But I also love football, and I love football in the fall. I love the crowd. I love the noise. I love the announcers. I love the game, although we dodged a bullet on Saturday, didn't we? It's okay. We've got time to get it together. We basically have a bye week this weekend, which is good. Uh, right, Julie? <laughs> I remember the moment that I first actually knew that I loved Penn State football. Uh, RUF works concessions once a year. So we work for three quarters, then we get to go out for the fourth quarter. A few years ago, we worked the Ohio State game, and Jack and I got the whole fourth quarter, and we went and we found some primo seats. I don't know if people had just gotten up and left. I don't know why they would have, but primo seats. And if you remember, when Penn State blocked Ohio State's punt, we were right there, and it was like, oh, my gosh. I just remember Jack saying, I can't believe this is happening. It was electric. And then moments later, when Ohio State gets its field goal blocked, and we return it all the way to get the winning score, it's like, we won! Ah! You know, and do you remember everybody's like rushing the field? It was electric. It is without question the greatest sports moment that I have been present for. And I went out with Jack and everybody else, and we were standing out in the middle of the field, and it was awesome. Rushing the field is fun, period. But do you know that not all schools rush the field? Do you know the University of Alabama, boo, has never ever rush the field. Not once. It's crazy. Uh, in fact, they hate it. Whenever, we, whenever I watch games with my Alabama fan friends and people rush the field, do you know what they say? Ugh, act like you've been there. 
want to punch him in the face. Act like you've been there. Act like a champion. Champions don't rush the field. And when we win games, we win because we we're supposed to win. Champions win games. Now, maybe they just don't know how stinking fun it is to rush the field, right? Because rushing the field is awesome. So they're wrong because they're Alabama. But they're also on to something. Act like who you are. Now, this particular example is flawed because it comes from a place of supposed faux-like superiority. It comes from a place of arrogance. But Jesus is using similar logic in this passage when he says, act like who you are. Remember, in Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is showing us what it looks like to live in his kingdom. Jesus is showing us what it looks like to belong to him. The Beatitudes are all about kingdom character. What is kingdom character? And tonight, what we start to see and throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is, what does that character look like in action? What does kingdom character look like in action? And so if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like. If you would be a follower of Jesus, this is what it would look like. So followers of Jesus act like who you are. Who are we? Last week, we saw that sort of the foundation for the whole Sermon on the Mount Jesus says, my followers, my people, my kingdom, at the core of kingdom character is a poverty of spirit. They're poor in spirit. And what that means is that you know that you have no spiritual resources in and of yourself. That whatever good you can do, whatever capacity for good that you have, has to first be given to you by Jesus. And so that's who you are, but also who you are. Secondly, children of the king, children of the God of the universe, children of your heavenly father. Who are you? You're poor in spirit, but you belong to your heavenly father. He calls you his child if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and that's how this passage ends, but it's really important to the whole passage, so I want to think about that for a minute. Here's what we have to remember. Jesus is not addressing us in our natural condition. He's not saying, listen, guys, you were born certain ways, so do that. Keep doing all the things that you were born into. No, no, no. He's saying, I have given you a new status. I have transferred you from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light, given you new characters, and now you can begin to put that in action. Jesus is not trying to build our self-esteem. What he's trying to do is build our confidence in God. It's not the same thing. Building off of last week, he says, in and of myself, in and of yourself, you are poor. But the, kingdom, the character I give you begins to listen to me as you would a true prophet. The character I give you enables you to bow the knee before you as you would for a true and good king. The character I give you enables you to embrace my perfect sacrifice on a cross on behalf of your broken characters. And if we relate to Jesus in this way, what he's saying is you now have his father, a heavenly father who adopts us and makes us his children. This is exactly what Jesus means in John 14 when he says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father except 
through me. When we relate to Jesus rightly, we get a Father, a Heavenly Father, who smiles on us, delights in us, sees the righteousness of Jesus as if it were our own. And so Jesus may not be interested in building our self-esteem, but He's very interested in building our confidence in our Heavenly Father. Because by faith in Jesus, we are adopted. And when we are adopted, when the God of the universe is our Father, we can face anything. We can face evil and injustice out there. Remember, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. But we're also given the confidence to face evil and injustice within our own hearts. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why would we thirst for righteousness unless we didn't have it? For they will be satisfied. You see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying God is going to change His people. God is going to change you. He will not leave you the same way that He found you. And in Christ, you will be able to relate to the God of the universe in the same way that a beloved child relates to a loving father. And you've got to see how big of a deal that idea is in this passage. Because it's not the tag-on, it's sort of the heart. Your mission and your motivation hinges on your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Look at what Jesus says in verse 16. Let your light shine before others. That's the mission. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So that, why? What's the reason? What's the motivation that we let our light shine before others? So that they may see your good works and what? Give glory to your Heavenly Father. Why do we care about others seeing our works? Why would we care about being light? Why would we care about being salt? So that others would glory in the Heavenly Father that we already glory in. Why does Jesus say that we will do good works? So that God will love us? Be more pleased with us? No. So that others will love us and be more pleased with us? No. The only good works that honor God come from a place of confidence in Jesus' work on our behalf. Come from a place of confidence that we are already children of God. And you have to know that by faith in Jesus, you are secure as your Heavenly Father's children. It matters You are secure if you've put your faith in Jesus. You are secure if you would put your faith in Jesus. You would be secure. And He will love you when you were good and when you were bad. And He will smile on you because He sees Jesus in you. And that smile upon you will so define you, so melt your heart. It's so healing and restorative and life-giving that you begin to want others to know the same smile. Why would I want to be light? Why would I want to be salt? So that others would know the same smile that I know in Jesus from my Heavenly Father. The Beatitudes taught us last week that those whom Jesus called blessed 
know the blesser. And when you know the blesser, he will begin to grow in us a desire for others to know the blesser as well. If you don't understand the motivation, you can't understand the mission. If you don't understand the the smile of a heavenly father is at the heart of this, then salt and light will be nonsense. It won't make any sense. You have to know the motivation to know the cause, to know the mission. You, You follow me? It matters. So Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Now, this is not the way we're used to talking about being salty. Right? I might look at Julie and say, Julie, why are you so salty? And someone's going to say, Joe, because you've been ragging on Pitt. And I'll say, oh yeah, that's why she's so salty. Okay? Jesus means something entirely different. Right? Obviously. What he means is, you are my agents of change in the world. Who is salt? Who is light? Those who have been blessed by their Heavenly Father. Who has been blessed? Those who know the smile of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is not interested in building our self-esteem. Rather, He wants to build our confidence in what God has done and will do in our lives and through our lives. He wants us to come to the conviction that God changes people. He can change our relationship with Himself where we look at Him and say, you're not this distant, weird, nebulous. I'm actually, I didn't even know if you existed. Now I come to know that you smile on me. He can change our relationship with Him. And if He can change our relationship with Him, then He can change us to give us desires to want to see others' relationships changed with God. That's what he means when he says, you are salt and light. Not let me tell you how to be salt and light. You are salt and light. He has made you to be salt and light because he has made you to be like himself. See, which means that any saltiness we have, any light that we have is derivative saltiness and light. To the degree that we're like Him is to the same degree that we can be salt and light. Our motivation, yes, but our mission hinges on understanding that we are children of the Father. You are His change agents because He has changed you. And if He's made you more like Himself, then He will use you to make others like Himself. In RUF, we talk about Christ changing our cause, right? We talk about Christ, community, cause, and culture. And Jesus changes our cause, and cause is just a C word for mission. He gives us a new mission. He gives us a new relationship with God, a new cause. He's made us to be salt and light. It's RUF's way of saying we're salt and light. So let's talk about salt and light for a minute. We know what salt is. Right? We use it all the time. Maybe you've heard people talk about this before. It seasons meat. It preserves meat. It's important that it's 
distinct. It's different from meat, right? Salt can't taste the same as meat, or we wouldn't use it. You would never pour steak flakes on your steak and say, mmm, these steak flakes make this steak so much better. You put, <laughs> you put salt on your steak. Likewise, normal people don't just you know, drink salt from the canister, right? I mean, maybe you know people like they just love salt, right? Because they're weird. That's why you're talking about it. They're weird. But salt needs to be distinct and different from whatever it's put on so that you can taste it. But it doesn't just season things. It preserves. Before there were refrigerators, how do you keep meat from being rotten? Drive down the road and you smell roadkill? Ooh, how do you keep, how do you keep meat that you want to eat from smelling like that? You rub a lot of salt into it and you preserve it. Salt benefits meat, and Jesus is saying Christians benefit the world. We're intended to. Salt makes meat taste better. It keeps it from going bad. So Christians are meant to make the world taste better and to keep it from going bad. Preserving. Jesus is talking about social change here. Where society is is broken or toxic, Christians have been given a cause, have been given a mission to keep things from getting worse. Here's a small way to think about this. You're with a group of people. It's a, a work project. It's at work. It's, you're with a group of people. And people start saying, you know, telling racist jokes or sexist jokes. And you don't laugh. When you don't laugh, Right? This is not a guarantee, but it makes it more likely that they're going to stop saying those jokes around you because it's not as fun. Old Debbie Downer over here. But it's better for a group dynamic that those jokes aren't told. Likewise, you don't have to engage in gossip in you know, groups where gossip flourishes, it rains, where people just eat each other alive behind each other's backs. You don't do that. It changes the dynamic, your salt. It's just the smallest way to think about that. We refrain from tasteless behavior, not out of a false sense of superiority, not because we've got it together, but because we desire to honor our Father. Right? When you start to think you're better, then you've forgotten the the foundation of poverty of spirit. And Jesus wants us to understand that we take this kingdom character that he has given us wherever we go. We are salt and light in a dependent sort of way. Well, this, of course, means Jesus gets to tell us what injustice is. And so our society in the Bible agrees sometimes that injustice is all around us, but we often define it in different ways. We have to ask ourselves, Does our conception of injustice come from the Bible or from what is trendy around us? Does our conception of what is broken and toxic come from God's authoritative word to us? Or do we taste like everybody else? As a Christian that already has our Heavenly Father's smile and approval, what He's calling us to do is committing to being distinct from the world, and yet not so isolated from it that we can't season it. So what it means is committing to being present. 
also being honest and diligent in your work. And so we strive to take care of and protect the marginalized, whether that's somebody that is handicapped or is a racial minority or someone who's just generally unpopular and is marginalized in social circles. Kingdom character wants to embrace the marginalized, protect and care for the marginalized. And if you do this for your heavenly Father, you are salt. St. Francis of Assisi is falsely attributed with a quote that says, share the gospel and use words when necessary. The idea of living in such a way that people take notice is a beautiful idea. It's salt idea. Be salt. But in addition to our words, in addition to caring for social change, we're called to be light, to use our words and content, to spread goodness and truth and beauty, which comes when we talk about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, who's the ultimate light of the world. And we are only faithfully light insofar as we reference and point to Him. Now, salt and light, complementary ideas but distinct. They go together, but they're different. Salt is defensive. It prevents decay and things from getting worse. Light goes on the offense and talks about Jesus. And Jesus has some warning words about salt that reminds me of the late, great comedian Mitch Hedberg. Anyone know Mitch Hedberg? Oh, all right. One person. He's king of the one-liners, and and this is one of my favorite Mitch Hedberg lines. He says, I like an escalator, because an escalator can never break. It can only become stairs. There would never be an escalator temporarily out of order sign, only escalator temporarily stairs. Sorry for the convenience. Okay? You guys are terrible. That's gold. Some things are worthless when they stop working, okay? Jesus says salt is one of them. Now, right, I, know, I know you got science backgrounds and you're thinking sodium chloride never stops being sodium chloride. He's not talking about sodium chloride, okay? Somebody always comes up to me afterwards when I talk about this. He's not talking about sodium chloride. They didn't have refineries. They had salty things, and sodium chloride was probably part of that, but there were tons of impurities. And the more it got corrupted the less it tasted salty. And so they couldn't season anything with it anymore. They threw it out. That's what he's saying. It's no longer salty. And Jesus is saying, if you are obsessed with not standing out, then you will never be distinct enough to season the culture around you. If you're obsessed with not standing out, then you'll never be able to season the culture around you. But when it comes to light... He encourages. Now, here's the tension. Stay salty. But then he says, your light cannot be hidden. Stay salty, but a promise. Your light cannot be hidden. Your effectiveness is not up to you. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't blend in too much. But remember, your light can't be hidden. How do we try to hide our light sometimes? I'm increasingly convinced that we're not supposed to force Jesus into every and any conversation. I'm increasingly convinced that tracks are more often not a good idea than a good idea. Okay? 
But if Jesus is making us the light of the world, then his light is in us, which means we're learning to think about him. And we're learning to pray to him. And we're learning to read more about him in the Bible, which means he's changing the ways that we think about him. He's changing the ways that we think about ourselves. He's changing the way that we think about everything, the world. He's reshaping us. And when this happens, Jesus more naturally comes up in conversations. So we probably shouldn't force him into any and every situation, but we shouldn't cover the light. When he comes up naturally in conversation, we shouldn't force him out. And some of you are thinking, what in the world do you mean? You're walking across campus with your roommate, and she says, you know, all religions are basically the same. What do you say? Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. There's a lot of good things and lots of different religions. Or, you know, I find Christianity to be unique among all religions because its fundamental message is unique. That it's not really about what you have to do and you being a good person for a God to love you. It's really more about Him coming and pursuing us in His Son Jesus and Jesus earning the Father's approval for us. I don't think they're all the same. Or maybe you're walking in the hub past the television with a friend when you see breaking news. Dozens of people injured in a school shooting. And your friend says, I just don't understand how people could do something like that. I don't understand how another human could hurt another human. And you can say, I know, right? Or, you know, it's hard to imagine me doing something like that, but the Bible says that every human heart is wicked. And that loving each other is a lot harder than hating each other. Now, speaking up doesn't guarantee that a fruitful conversation will ensue, right? But Jesus has put a light inside of his people, and it cannot be hidden. And this happens when God grows a discontentment in us from forcing him out of conversations. All of us have forced him out of conversations. All of us have thought, hmm, I'm thinking about Jesus right now, and there's no way I'm going to mention him right now. By faith in Jesus, our Heavenly Father will work in us. He will change us. He will not leave us. He is not frowning on you. And we will grow in the ability to have confidence in Him to be who He's made us to be in those circumstances. And you still might be thinking, Joe, there is no way I'm going to talk about Jesus with my roommate in campus. It's just no way, no how, not going to happen. Maybe. Not yet. But that's why we have each other. Really, truly. And that's, this is in this passage. It's really helpful, and I hate it. It's a pet peeve of mine when pastors sort of say, now the Greek here is, and it's like, well, that's what my ESV says. You just said what the ESV says. That wasn't helpful at all. It drives me nuts. But this is actually kind of helpful, and it's amazingly simple. Jesus uses a form of the word you four times in this passage. You are salt. You are light. Let your light shine so that others may see your good works. And it can make you feel lonely. 
They can make you feel like a failure. It can make you think, wow, there is a lot that you're putting on my shoulders, Jesus. Except all of the yous are plural, right? You guys are the salt of the earth. Yins are the light of the world. Let y'all's light shine before others. It is not a one-man job. You understand? All of us read this, you are the light in the world, and we're thinking, how can I, Joe Dennessy, be the light of the world wherever I go? How can I be better at that? How can I be better salt? How can I do that? No. You guys. It's a collective you plural. You are not brought into this kingdom as individuals. Yes, Jesus changes us as individuals, but he does not call us merely as individuals. He puts us in a kingdom of people together. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. Light can't be hidden. You think, I haven't said anything in five years. Because it's not just you. It's God's people. You all, you guys, you're not alone. Doesn't that change how we read this? How we think about it? You were made to make a difference. And together, you can. He calls us to benefit the, cult, the culture, but He never calls us alone. In addition to a cause, He has given us each other. Listen, all of us are already failures at this. And still, still, listen, you are a failure. You are a failure. And if you would put your faith in Jesus, do you understand what that means? The Father is pursuing you. He's drawing closer to you. He doesn't say you're gross, you're not good enough, you've got an F. He's drawing closer to you. He's smiling on you to love us and to change us. He still plans to use us. And He equips us when we open our Word, the Bible, we open the Word. He's equipping us. Right now, He's equipping us. He trains us when we talk about it with each other in small groups and one-on-ones. We need each other because if it is hard for you to talk about Jesus in front of your Christian friends, then you will never talk about Him in front of people who don't believe in Him. And maybe you're a non-Christian here, and you're wondering, I've been hanging out with you guys, but is anyone going to talk to me about Jesus? Or is He just not that big of a deal? Because obviously if I'm hanging around, I'm interested at least a little bit. When you hang out, whether that's after large group or small groups or one-on-ones, some of you need, like write this down, some of you need to say this to the person sitting across from you and your heart's going to do this. I want to talk about Jesus, fellow believer, and I don't know how. I should be able to do this. Other people seem to be able to do this. I want to be able to do this, and I don't know how. Because if you've never really done it, of course it's going to feel awkward. But awkward doesn't mean wrong. And awkward doesn't mean bad. Let God grow His light in you through your poverty of spirit. 
Some of us need help to see how Jesus is a natural part of a conversation. I just would have seen a school shooting on the news. I wouldn't have thought about Jesus. We need to talk about him with each other so that we can learn and grow together in that. And we need help by practicing. And some of you want to engage your non-Christian friends, and you want to, and you don't know how. I want to talk about Jesus, but I feel like I'm going to mess it up. It's hard to say the wrong thing if you're talking about Jesus from a sincere heart. But if that's too much, then just say, hey, come to RUF with me. I got this weird meeting on Thursdays, and I'd, I'd love it if you'd come with me. And ask again. Or, hey, we've got this girls group, and, and it's great, and you should come. And then ask them what they thought about it, instead of this elephant in the room that sort of follows you all the way home. What did you think? Was it weird? Was it good? Was there anything good? What happened? Almost no one is going to hate you for trying to share your community with them. Because we're all lonely. Especially you guys, you're, you're great. You're welcoming. You're wonderful. You guys are the salt of this campus. You guys are the light of Penn State. And if you're a Christian, that's just who you are. You are a beloved child of the Father. And you're His messengers on campus. It's not just you. You guys other believers, right? A bunch of us together. Let that fill you with a confidence in God's work in you and in others to bring about change. For His glory, we'll feel Him smile. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for this passage, and thank You so much for loving us and being our Father. We pray that if some of us don't know you in that way, that you'd help us to see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's exactly who he says he is. And he can save us. We pray it in his name. Amen.